Hey, Deeper Cut Podcast family. This is Tim bringing you a quick editor's note. This podcast you're about to listen to was actually recorded a few weeks ago uh, at the end of May 2023. And due to some holidays and just life getting in the way a little bit, um, I have not had the opportunity until just now to edit the episode and get it posted. So my apologies for that. I did want to at least make you aware that this is um, obviously very delayed in its release, and we will be releasing this week's episode as well today. Um, But I wanted to distinguish between the two and give you a little shout out from behind the microphone here in the uh, editing studio, if you will. And and again, offer my apologies for the delay and uh, let you know that this episode, uh, we didn't want you to not get it, even though it's it's delayed. So, hope you enjoy, and you'll listen to this week's episode as well, and look forward to seeing you again next time on The Deeper Cut. Welcome back to The Deeper Cut, a podcast ministry of Mercy Hill Presbyterian Church. It is good to be with you again this week. Um, My name is Tim Pasek. I am a ruling elder at Mercy Hill, and I'm joined, as always, by a fellow elder and our pastor, Phil Henry. Phil, how are you today? Doing great, Tim. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. I'm going to pull the cat out of the bag right at the beginning. We are one day we're recording today which is one day prior to your birthday so i'm going to wish you a happy early birthday thank you um you've already mentioned that in your sermon that it was your birthday this week so i don't think i'm um giving away any confidences but i do wish you a happy birthday and um i'm glad we're recording it not on your birthday <laughs> thank you thank so you hopefully you have something fun my, planned my, one of my one of my birthday presents is i get to do today's podcast not only with your smiling face, Tim, but with my son, Noah. How you doing, Noah? I'm doing well. Doing well. That was a very smooth transition to an intro. I like that, <laughs> Phil. See, we have learned something in the couple months we've been doing this. Yes. <laughs> We're getting better. Noah, where are you? I know the answer to this, but not everyone will. Where are you back mm-hmm. from, and how long are you with us? I'm back from Colorado Christian, right outside of Denver. Uh, I'm, I'm here for a couple weeks. Uh, I, the, this Sunday was the first Sunday that I've been back and I'm, I'm really happy to have the chance to talk with you guys about the sermon about, so we're happy that you're here to, um, give your input and have another Henry voice in the room. That's not Rockies. Um, and it was really good to see you walk. I didn't, I I didn't know you were going to be in town. (laughs) So it's great to see you walk in on Sunday. I know. I overheard a few people not realize who you were. Yeah. Um, not that you've been away for that long, but you came back bearded and, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's great to have you. It's great to have you back for a few weeks. Yeah. And thanks for being here today. Absolutely. Yeah. We are 17 weeks, I believe, into First Peter at this point. Um, so going strong and... Uh, our last recording was two weeks ago. We kind of wrapped up that major section in the middle of First Peter around the household and then also the Christian household. And then we also talked about kind of the household of God in our last um, podcast, meaning his church. Right. And so this week we're going to be picking up in First Peter 3, starting in verse 13. And as usual, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the sermon from our pulpit this past Sunday that is available online. I'll include it in our show notes as usual. Um, so please go give a listen to that and then, you know, hit pause and come back and hit resume. And, um, hopefully you get some good additional thoughts, um, to consider, uh, from what we're going to talk about today. But, uh, I'm going to read the passage in a minute, Phil. I think that would be helpful. It's only four verses. 
Yeah, I think that's a good way to start, Tim. Um, and this this is kind of just a, in terms of setup, this would be considered kind of a new section. Like Peter's starting to slowly turn into his next point, is it's, my feeling. It's not as new as I thought because of the first word. We know that Peter continues his commentary on Psalm 34, which was the last section. So right. I think we probably don't see this ending until the end of the chapter, is my hunch. Okay. So we're still kind of in the Christian household and then the household of the church, and now kind of the church and society. So almost like an epilogue to this section. Yeah, so this this is the thought. the, The ministry of the church, which we've talked about already. Mm-hmm. being one of unity amongst ourselves also has a witness in society based on our our behavior right right okay well i know we have lots to talk about yeah, so we do let me um let me pick us up in verse 13 this is of chapter 3 in first peter and peter writes this now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And that is our passage for the week. Uh, a, I'll say a quintessential part of Scripture to go um, for the defense of having an apologetic, right? Where we're instructed to um, be able to give a reason or a defense for the hope that is, is in us, so... We can get to that. That's a couple of uh, verses in. But you mentioned that this is right on the heels of Peter quoting Psalm 34, and he starts this as now who, so that's the tie-in that you were talking about. Correct. Right? So, Tim, what uh, I started out the sermon by giving some context for that word, mm-hmm. which is to say I, I s- briefly sketched the context of Psalm 31, 10 through 12 as a setup for what he's saying in verse 13. What connections do you see there between 10 to 12 and then verse 13? Um, I think the connection that that I immediately see is... um, So he's talking about a zealousness for what is good, and um, in 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 verses ten and eleven, he's kind of has has already said, um, "Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil. So do good, not evil. His lips from speaking deceit. Again, do good, not evil." And let him t- turn away from evil and do good. So he's hit that three-pronged. So d- doing good is, is a strong theme in those verses and not doing evil. Right. And so he essentially gathers all those strands up in verse 13 with a hypothetical. So what is the hypothetical? And what do I, what, what do I mean by that? Yeah, so um, the hypothetical is... If you if you if you're doing that, what harm is going to come of you? Essentially, right? It's a, it's a rhetorical question. Almost. So you almost can hear Peter saying, "Imagine a situation where someone is living that way. Let's call him Joe, and Joe is keeping his tongue from evil. He's fleeing evil. He's clinging to what is good. He's pursuing good. He's zealous or eager to do good." Joe's going to be fine most of the time. And this does remind me a little bit of Paul in Romans 13 when he's talking about Christians submitting to the governing authorities. The Phil Henry translation is, if you're going the speed limit 
you don't need to worry about the lights mm. in your mm -hmm. rear view mirror because mm -hmm. my heart usually goes, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, there's always exceptions to every rule. But generally speaking, when we obey the law, we don't have anything to be afraid of. Mm. And that, that does open up a whole interesting set of conversations. But Peter's point is, he's actually making the assertion is, you should expect in general by God's grace, that when you do good, even in the non-Christian society in which you live, you will not be harassed or uh, pushed around. You know, the word harm is interesting. Um, it, uh, mistreatment, to think badly of someone, to become embittered towards someone, to be poisoned towards someone. Hmm. Generally speaking, the big majority of the case, Peter's saying, God has maybe so arranged the world that most of the time, in most situations, when Christians do good, they're going to be left alone by the non-Christian society in which they live. So I think that's an interesting yeah. point, and it's not one that you hear talked about very much. We, we hear a lot about suffering, and we're going to get to it. Yeah. But I did, I, I did make a, I felt like somewhat a controversial claim that the promise here, which is not very well known and appreciated by most Christians, is if you focus on being eager to do what is right and what is good, most of the time you're going to be fine. What do you think? Uh, I, I agree with that. I would also say that I think Peter might even be going one step further here because in verse 9 he says, do not repay evil for evil, but instead bless. Mm. So not only do good and you're going to be fine, but even when people are doing bad to you, do good back to them and you, and you will be fine. And that, that, that definitely moves us in a little bit into a proper response to mistreatment mm. when it does happen, which is verse 14. But, Noah, is that your experience when you are eager to do good that generally uh, people, uh, if they don't flat out respect you, they, will, they won't harm you? I mean, yeah. I, I think that, uh, you know, there are, there are rules and laws that make up a lot of, you know, society. But in between the gaps is the niceties and the uh, what people do to their fellow neighbor and in relations, even if they're not Christian. Um, you know, wherever, wherever I've gone, if you hold open the door, nobody's going to, you know, cuss you out. They're going to say, oh, yeah, thank you. Occasionally that'll happen. I mean. But not, it, not normally. Not normally. Yeah. And. then there are, there are some social norms that are obviously non-Christian. So this is where we maybe get into the counterfactuals. Not every norm in society of what society says good mm -hmm. are things that Christians can agree with. Mm -hmm. But our mind goes immediately to those counterfactual. And of course, there are times when a Christian does good and suffers for it. Mm -hmm. And so our mind goes to the counterfactuals effectively undermining and almost ignoring Peter's claim. So you, I, I, so how, I find how, that troubling that we're so eager, like our tendency is to dismiss Scripture with mm -hmm. evidence to the contrary. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when Scripture's making a claim that says, trust God, do the right thing, and most of the time you'll be fine. Yeah. I this I, I you know this reminds me of the creation of count of being created in in God's image, right? So, with the with the ability to perceive and do good and and um, be able to conceive of right, and um, w with with the fall of Adam and Eve, you know, now we have the negative of of the evil. But the image hasn't been so obliterated that 
good still isn't largely recognized by the average person. Yeah. So we, we call this common grace. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts here, Tim? Yeah. Um, I was going to say that the, the defining the good is, is important. Hmm. Right. Um, and that the good is not defined by us. Meaning what I think is good and what you're saying, Phil, and I agree with this, is that there is a good that God has put into creation that is in the very fabric of us and in his creation. And we all know, like, people know that murder is wrong. <laughs> it's like, every society knows that, that murder is, is wrong, more or less. No one has to show up and teach you that. It's just, you know, that's part of, of what the common grace is, mm -hmm. is what you're saying. Mm -hmm. um, but it's still important to delineate what the good is and what the what the bad is. You know, that's why we have the commandments. That's why. Right. That's why we have the law. Right. Um, and so it is important. And I think Peter even gives us a picture in verse eight a little bit of what good looks like. It's right. the unity of mind. That's brotherly affection. That's tenderheartedness. Right. right. Because we don't want to get off track, right. you know, with our own... And, and he also gives us an idea that good can include non-retaliation for bad. Right. So it isn't automatically wrong to not pursue justice. And in a, in a, I, I sense the social dynamic in the West, in America, is heavily tilted towards justice and a certain kind of justice that typically excludes God. Hmm. And so the Christian contribution to this conversation about justice needs to include, one, God defines justice just as he defines good, and then two, justice can't be discussed or pursued without recognizing the valuable place that non-retaliation, i.e. MLK, peaceful demonstration, mm -hmm. has. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a key component is to suffer for doing good. So, but to, to your, to your point also, the title of the sermon was intended to capture that kind of out of the gates, right? How we define the good, i.e. what is the norm becomes all, all important. Right. Right. We, we spent more time talking about the passage last week than we did this week thus far, but I think verse 12 is getting to your point, the point you just made too, and we didn't, we didn't talk about verse 12, but the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So there's the, the justice. Justice is from the Lord, mm -hmm. um, ultimately. And in, in that sense, I think doing good must include not pursuing vengeance or retribution. I mean, pursuing justice is different than revenge, but mm -hmm. we can make that distinction. But it, it is important that the doing good, the being eager for the good of 13, is has baked into it a commitment to non-retaliation. Yeah. I think of Joseph with his brothers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like what God, what you meant for evil, God used for good, and He didn't hold that against them and yeah. retaliate against them or seek justice against them. He He showed grace and anyway. Yeah. And that's and not our passage, but no. But <laughs> but in the process of Joseph coming to that mature viewpoint, he did have the stuffing knocked out of him more than once and became, I think, more wise, more savvy about the work of the Lord than he was as a bragging young boy amongst his brothers. Sure. Yeah, it was a long time between yeah. those two events, too. Yeah, he had some time to think about it. But here, here he is, a guy who has the power to basically obliterate his mm -hmm. brothers who did that to him. Mm -hmm. And he chooses, rest I wouldn't say restraint, like, you know, he weeps over them and provides for them. Anyway. So, but... We were talking about an example in the Bible, and I did spend some time in the sermon illustrating someone who was zealous at first 
for evil, mm-hmm. but who, when he was given a new normal, the Apostle Paul, he became zealous for the good. What did you think, Noah, about the use of that uh, analogy or that example from Scripture? Was that helpful? Y- yeah. I've done a character analysis of Paul on my own time, and I- I've studied Roman culture quite significantly in my college education. And I, I found that uh, Paul's actions were, in his mind, were viewed as good. Like, he, he thought he was doing justice to, you know, the, the Sanhedrin and the, the various groups in that time. But, you know, he was persecuting the, the Christians, which, you know, is, is very interesting. And I, I think that... Um, how we, uh, we we need to view the 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 justice and the goodness of God in a in a in a light that recognizes that there are harms that come to people because of uh, those around us, even if they are intending to be doing good in their own mind. Agreed. Agreed. Tim, we talk about homiletics sometimes in these recordings mm-hmm. and what value do you think that story of Paul's life how is that helpful just homiletically in the sermon um, I think it it provides a toehold right something concrete to grasp in our mind for I would venture to say most people in our congregation They've probably read most of the New Testament, most of Paul's writings, know who Paul is. Maybe they don't have an enormous grasp of, um, you know, Acts or, or kind of his background. But here's a here's a apostle, a saint of the early church that everyone knows. I mean, if you're a Christian, mm-hmm. you know Paul and you know his writings, and. Um, to see, the, talk about a new norm, right? Like it's kind of the epitome, like the, the case study, if you will. Um, Hence the you, phrase, a Damascus Road experience. <laughs> right, right. So um, I think it's it's super helpful, especially considering, and you made this point, and I thought it was such a great point, Phil. Um, none of us probably are, you know, as you're preaching, are, we're thinking back about, maybe some of the things we've done before we were Christians or maybe even while we've been Christians that, you know, prick our conscience, you know. None of us were a murderer like Paul. And God still chose, he was a chosen instrument of God. Chosen instrument, that's right. And you see what God did with Paul, and you go, I could never be Paul. And in in the same breath, you can say, well, I could never be Paul. He murdered a bunch of Christians, you know what I mean? So... It's actually really helpful to have that be brought to light again. Mm-hmm. Not that we should strive to be Paul in any way, shape, or form, but um, I do think it, it kind of, like I said, provides a toehold, something to grab a hold mm-hmm. of, that here's a kind of a father in the faith that mm-hmm. I aspire to be Paul in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. and yet even still, he, you know, he's, he, had his own, <laughs> he had his own struggles, you know, and he had his own um, pretty severe, to use a word, conversion in that regard. Right. Um, so a couple of, I, th- I think the illustration came in my first point, did it? Is I, that, is I that, think so, yeah. Does that sound right? That sounds like a quiz question. No, it's not. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not remembering, but I think it, I think it did. And um, one of the values of a just homiletically of a story for the preacher is it allows me to just communicate directly i'm not developing an argument Mm -hmm. in that time i'm simply telling a story and it tends to help the listener because we even at that point i had already developed some pretty challenging concepts to get your brain around so the story winds up coming in kind of a left brain right brain sort of thing i think where we 
can enjoy the story and it indirectly illuminates the challenging point that Peter is making in his text with an actual person's life. The other thing is with the word zeal, which is why I chose to use Paul, when he tells his, bi- when he tells his biography several times in the New mm-hmm. Testament, but in the Philippians version of his biography, he says, as to zeal for righteousness, a Pharisee. So he says, I was the most zealous of them all. Mm -hmm. But then after his conversion, obviously, uh, he wants to be known for nothing else than for pursuing Christ and him crucified. So even if that results in his sufferings, in in fact, Philippians 3, he says, it's the fellowship of Christ's sufferings, which is to say the community that's created in a believer's heart and life when he or she is, A, united to Christ in his death and resurrection, and B, in a community of Christians who are pursuing that same thing. Yeah. So Paul's emphasis in his own ministry on zeal and, the, and his misplaced zeal, yeah. and then um, his, his re- refined, renewed, the new normal zeal that, that he had, just in terms of like why I chose Paul, there seemed to be a really close link. And I've, I've also found it helpful. This will be the last thing I'll say. This is kind of homiletics mm-hmm. part of our podcast today, Tim. I found it hel- a helpful dynamic for Paul to illustrate Peter's point. Because most of the time we're preaching Paul's letters and we're using Peter to illustrate Paul's point. Yeah. But here we get to use Paul and his boneheaded mistake <laughs> as an illustration of wise mm-hmm. Peter's point. And I think that that was my effort to just kind of balance the scales a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting if I could, you know, to, because you you mentioned that uh, we so often use Paul to uh, or use Peter to reference Paul. If I could bring up James and, in reference to Peter, the uh, the the past James, I think it's one, yeah, one. Two, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's that's really interesting when we're looking at, at suffering and how to go about the, uh, the difficulties of the world. Because it's, you know, how do we, how do we go about suffering? It's like... Counting suffering as joy is not normal. That's true. That's true. Verse 17 touches on this when he's differentiating the kind of suffering that comes from doing good and the kind of suffering that comes from doing evil. And this is not the last time Peter's going to make this point. It comes up a couple of times in chapter 4 as well. For in the first part of four, Peter says, haven't we spent enough time on those things that destroy you? Mm. Why are you putting yourself through this over and over and over mm-hmm. again? And then towards the end of four, he says the same thing. Uh, if you suffer as an unbeliever, shut your mouth. But if you suffer as a Christian, rejoice. So I, th- I do think you're right that our, our nor- the norming that happens with the new birth is such that we view our hardships and trials in, in a different way. What did you think about my um, football analogy? I'm dying to know. <coughs> this, was, this was one of these unscripted. You could see I was struggling in, in the pulpit. To uh, I, Am I really going to do this? I'm just going to do this. I know it's weird, but maybe it'll help. It was interesting. I, I, think, I think that... Um, it was it was good. Like it made sense. Uh, so either one of you maybe sketch it for our listeners. What was the analogy, Tim? You want to give it a try? Sure. Um, I think Noah's I'm, volunteering I'm, 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 you at yeah, this point. I was, I was, I was <laughs> voluntold silently to do it. Um, imagine a, a football game uh, of two teams, and they play the first half, and one team's beaten up on the other team pretty good. And they go in at halftime, and after halftime, the team that's losing comes back out in the field, and the team that's leading 
just goes home. They don't come back to finish the game. And so, obviously, we know who wins that game. And your analogy was, our lives, this side of glory, is that first half of that game. Not that we have to be losing, but even if we are... Often feels like we are. We're going to win. It's it's inevitable, because the other team goes home when we get to heaven. Right. And we have all eternity. It's a game of four quarters. Yeah. But only two of them are played on this side of the Jordan. Yeah. So to speak. Yeah. Uh, could you could you explain maybe f- flesh flesh out that that point maybe a little bit more? Why why is that so important that that we recognize the uh, that distinction between the first half and then the second half? Let's let's use that. Let's use that as a segue to 14, and, and I'll, uh, we'll see if the text helps us there. No, it's a good question. Yeah. So 14, but if you suffer for righteousness, you will be blessed. So where is the blessing? You know, how do we know that the blessing is there? Uh, this, is a, this is a beatitude. Mm-hmm. This is a, a the, the Greek word, is a, it's a makarism. Makarioi is the word for bless. It's an invitation by God. In general, Beatitudes are invitations by God of the best way to live in a fallen world. They don't promise the elimination of sin or hardship or suffering, but they promise that given the reality of suffering, this is the way to live. And so Peter's Beatitude is uh, suffer for what is good. That's the best way to live. And it's not only the best way to live in the first two halves of the football or the first two quarters of the football game, Noah, but it's the only way to find entrance into the second half of the football game. Is being persecuted. Suffering for righteousness. Suffering for righteousness. Okay. So yeah. that implies that there is a rectitude, a rightness about my being, which has fundamentally altered my sin and shame and guilt. Hmm. There's no way to suffer for righteousness without the new birth, without election and salvation yeah. and justification yeah. and sanctification, which goes along with it. Yeah. And when that, when that, the norming of heaven and the second half of the, this football game begins to work on me on this half of eternity and this side of eternity, I am, I am, being proven to be the one who is an heir to the kingdom of God. Yeah. So this is one of the places where Peter is referencing Jesus in Matthew 5.10, blessed are you when men persecute you, uh, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, he, he puts that one, he puts that one last, and it's really interesting that he, the, 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 the tenets of the Christian faith are put before that and have... And he has Matthew has the the last beatitude of persecution. He does be the and then the defining characteristic. The beatitudes often are truncated there at verse twelve. Oh, yeah. But what does thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen say in Matthew five? That's the salt and the light passage. Salt and light. So we we don't need to read the whole thing, but the emphasis of the beatitudes is on our witness. Yeah. And so we have a remarkable and I think brilliant repackaging of the Beatitudes here in Peter. Mm. So Peter was so well familiar, so well acquainted with Jesus' teaching on this topic that he appropriates Psalm 34 and cracks it open with this beautiful language. And here we essentially have the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, according to Peter. It's amazing. That's pretty cool. Point being, what do we get in 15? We get our witness, a salt and light witness. So um, um, one, one more comment, Noah, on your question about the two halves of the football game. Do not fear their fear is 14. Is that how you have it in? I, uh, in my version, it says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Okay. 
yeah, have no fear of them. So they, what happens in this first half isn't ultimately defining for the Christian because it's a four-quarter game. Yeah. And so we're free to be so confident and calm and s- w- without being arrogant or needing to assert ourselves because of God's goodness, because of God's plan for us, that we can endure harm and we can pursue the good without fear. Yeah, yeah. Because we know how the, how the game ends. Mm-hmm. Paul says, if, if we live only for this life, we are of all men to be mo- most pitied. And if Christ is not raised, then our faith is in vain. I think this is kind of what I'm getting at mm-hmm. with the game story. What do you think, Tim? Yeah, I've enjoyed listening in on okay. Henry and Henry. Okay. <laughs> um, I'll add one note, um, just so I'm not sitting in silence. Uh, in verse 15, um, Peter talks about give a reason for the hope that is in you. And so there I see the second half. Mm-hmm. Right. The hope is not in the world. Hope is in you. And we see in the next verse, um, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So I'm putting the dotted line between those those things there and saying um, the second half matters because it speaks, it is here now in us like that hope is real in us today you said we play a four quarter game right mm-hmm. that's how you worded it that's true we can't forget that, that the game the game doesn't end at halftime um and so we do have hope in in christ in us now that can't be taken away mm-hmm. it's not altered by our circumstances or our sufferings or anything like that it is kept you know Peter's language it's kept in heaven for you um, and I, I, I tried to emphasize that it isn't just the ability to endure suffering until we get there that hope in us now that hope I think I called it hope logic mm-hmm. enables us to do good in a meaningful and lasting way in this fallen world at this time in the first half of the game good in light of Christianity or good in light of the moral world like worldly morality i would say both both okay so a christian can get involved in cancer research oh yeah yeah and reduce leukemia as i understand we are are learning you know more and more particularly childhood leukemia is is being um treated earlier and uh, I'm not. I'm not saying that we've eradicated childhood leukemia, but the incidences are. Much, it's much more treatable today, and if that's a, if a Christian can, geneticist is involved in that research, that's good that anybody would recognize, or breast yeah. cancer, or or uh, an, an AIDS vaccine, or or whatever it may be. Uh, so that's verse thirteen. That's common good, but then verse fourteen, perhaps, and fifteen are distinctly Christian goods that might not always be recognized as such. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I saw in in the in verse fifteen, uh, but in your hearts honor Christ, the Lord as holy, and then it says always being prepared to make a defense. So in in my mind, maybe there is, you know, you can't. You can't go about, you know, playing the the four-quarter game, you know. You can't have the assurance of the second half of the game without, you know, already making the the, the stake in the Christian faith. You, you, you know, if you're on the enemy team and you're hoping to make it to the second quarter, you know, switch teams. Be, be on the side of, uh, be on Christ's team. And so when, if I'm not a Christian and I see your good behavior in Christ, and I verbally abuse you, that's what it means to revile and slander. Yeah, yeah. Your humble response towards me, your meek and humble response towards me, explaining yourself when I'm asking, and your fear of God, your reverence and respect for God in that moment, 
that could be the thing that the Lord uses to help me switch teams, as you say. <laughs> yeah. Tim, I think this phrase, sanctify, or uh, ESV says, honor Christ the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, the word make holy or, or sanctify is, is really, it's really important. What do you think this means and how does it bear on our discussion? Sanctifying or honoring Christ the Lord in our hearts. Verse 15. Right. I mean, notice it's the sentence begins at the end of 14. Yeah. Can you see that? Yeah. It's a, because um, there's a but there. Right. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. So, um, I mean, I, my head immediately goes to um, don't be fearful. For those who can harm the body, but fear the one who, um, I forget the verse exactly. Yeah, Matthew ten twenty nine. Yeah. Yeah. Do it's not fear mind. those who can kill the body, but fear the one who can throw both body and soul, soul. into hell. Yeah. Same passage, not a hair of your head will fall apart from the will of your Father in heaven. Good, good reference. John fourteen twenty seven is another one. Uh, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, in the world you will have trouble. Do not let your hearts uh, be troubled, neither be afraid. I, I do think it's interesting that we have a connection, seeming connection between fear and what we're doing in our hearts. And that those two things are not separated, but kind of where our hearts are, are I don't want to say pointed, but what are, uh, maybe a, the fear that that we hear about fear the Lord, you know, it's not like it is be it is be afraid because mm-hmm. He is a holy and and um, perfect God and omnipotent God, but it's also a, a different kind of fear than just like you know I'm scared. There's a holy reverence type mm-hmm. of fear that comes with that. So mm-hmm. um, I'm not I'm not sure how, what I'm trying to say here, but it seems to me like. Fear the Lord, don't fear people. Right, and that's the context. I, I did mention Isaiah 7 and 8. So in that, in a, Isaiah 8, 12, and 13, the context is, don't fear what they fear. Fear the Lord. He is your sanctuary. So the fear, whatever we mean by the fear of the Lord, has a protective, carrying yeah. almost a maternal aspect to where we can trust and rely upon God. And that reliance on God is what keeps us from doing evil. Through, through, our, through our connection in Christ. Mm-hmm. We haven't even scratched the surface, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> but we do need to touch on apologetics a little bit. Yeah. So talk to our listeners about what apologetics is and where it shows up in this text. Yeah, so verse 15, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason... Um, for the hope that is in you. So I would say, um, I mean, that's a great definition, in my opinion, from the Bible, Mm -hmm. a reason for the hope that is in you, Mm -hmm. you know, and that comes in the form of of a defense of your faith, Mm -hmm. right? So that's good. I'm using Peter's words. Yeah. Because he's much better than me. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever been asked why you are so strange with your <laughs> I, d- that didn't come out the right way Noah. uh it's because i am your son okay yeah. you're, you're welcome yeah. but no seriously in terms of like peculiar behavior that is because you're a christian not just because you're an unusual fellow yeah i absolutely i mean uh first thing that i can think of is you know 16 working at wendy's somebody asked me if i was a uh, what did what did they call me? Was it Amish? They thought I was Amish, yeah, because you know I was, you know, a little bit different, 
and they just couldn't wrap the, their head around the fact that a guy who bikes to work when he's 16 is, you know, a normal-ish dude. Oh, so the bike was like anti-technology in their mind? I, I think so. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, it was interesting. And the reason for the hope that is in you while you're biking to work was what? I wanted money. <laughs> I wanted money. There you go. And I wanted something to do at 16. There you go. But, I mean, yeah, where wherever I've gone, you know, I've I've always been fairly open about my about my Christian faith and, and how much it defines my person and my, uh, th the way I go about life, you know, whether that's, you know, being a camp counselor or, you know, working at Wendy's or working at Starbucks, you know, I've, I've always felt the, the ability to easily convey the hope that is in me. Have you ever failed to do it with gentleness? Yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Um, you heard me in my testimony, Tim, and of course, no, you've heard my testimony yeah. many times. But in the beginning of my Christian faith, I didn't always use the meekness or the gentleness that Peter commends. But since being the pastor of this church, I've always been meek, haven't I, Tim? Always. You're a, a picture. A paragon, yeah, even. Of, of meekness, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's the importance of that? And in, in all seriousness, I do see modeled in your life an enviable meekness that, that I commend, brother. Uh, I appreciate that. I don't feel that way often. Well, Al Allie something... told me to say that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, okay, do, I, do, I do respect you, though. W what are your thoughts on the importance of our, our approach in apologetics? Um, uh, well... We know it's important, number one. We're told that it's important. So uh, I do think that um, we are given the ability to control and to have an apologetic that is more than just words in how we're saying things, mm. how we're presenting ourselves how we are emulating our Lord Jesus and how he ministered to people. So it's not like God says, okay, you're a Christian now. Here's how you are to operate. Figure it out. You who are a sinner and struggle with anger and, you know, foul language yeah. and drunkenness and all these things. He goes, no, you need, you know, I'm, I'm calling you to represent me and Christ in the way that would honor him. And I'm giving you the Holy Spirit to sanctify you, to make you more and more into him, his image, so that you can do that. So it's, it's a, um, I think it's important because we don't want to be hypocrites, right? We want to be, um, whole, right? We want to be people of integrity, meaning we're there's a wholeness about mm -hmm. us. We're not one way in one circumstance and another way in a different. We're not divided in our mind. Peter even talks about that. Um, but we have the ability to do like God has given us everything we need to to do that. Not that we're going to do it perfectly and we're still going to struggle, but I think a lot of times, at least for me. Where I catching myself, where I catch myself struggling is, is within the struggle. To mortify my sin, to live for you know live a righteous life, to be meek. I feel um, defeated in it, and I feel frustrated, and that there's the there's the the biggest problem. The problem isn't the sin. God's not surprised by my sin. <laughs> my sin has been paid for by Christ. And I'm forgiven for it. So why do I still act like I'm a slave to sin? You know what I mean? Yeah. So so that I think that's I didn't really answer your question exactly, Phil. I, I took it a slightly different direction, but no, it was I good. can't it was, help it was when good. I have a microphone in front of my face, but to yeah. you know <laughs> it was exhort. Good it was a good reflection. And notice that Peter says with meekness, um, I, I, I made the 
the distinction. Meekness is towards your opponent or your enemy. Mm-hmm. The respect or fear is towards God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, having a clear conscience. And then he says, so that's one criteria. And I have found that t- there are times when I'm least meek in my uh, debate or response to my opponents is when my conscience isn't clear. And it, it poisons or infects my apology, my apologia, my, my defense of the faith with, it's kind of like the classic fundamentalist preacher who's railing against adultery and then committing it. And there seems to be a, you know, the louder, it's like the, the Puritan proverb, the more he spoke of his honesty, the quicker we counted our spoons just to say a guy talks a lot about honesty but he's he's a thief so he says then your good way of life or your good conduct in Christ how does it say in end of 17 it says um, or end of 16 rather those who revile your good behavior in Christ maybe put so that good behavior is the picture of our new life in Christ that comes out in 1 Peter 1.13 and 1.18 and chapter 2, verse 12. It's a theme. It's, it's the Christian life. It's a beautiful, beautiful uh, theme for Peter. We've been chosen in Christ. We're elect exiles. We've been given the new birth. And now we've been set on a path, a way of life that's different. And we're called to hold to it. To stay on it mm. and to to li- live it out. Yeah. Dis- despite Tim, like you're saying, despite you know how hard or how difficult it may seem, you know how how often we feel like we're straying from the path. It, it is still our calling and our and our goal to you know push on. Uh, you know, in that same passage, the same passage of Paul that you brought up. You know, the the reason of the hope that what is 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 in me you know i i push on towards the goal to the prize to the yeah. prize of the upper call of heaven it's good and um i'll i'll conclude with this this is what makes preaching this hard yeah because i'm not just responding to a critic with an inconsistent life but i'm preaching and in particular this particular sunday i, I had family in attendance and of course my own family is often in attendance and I think part of my rationale in sharing my testimony was to remind those who know me well that these are things that I also struggle with and I want to keep keep trying. And so it's it's hard to listen to a, a preacher who you know the real story behind the scenes. Yeah. And as a, as a PK, you know this, Noah. <laughs> God's given you a, a gracious temperament and a forgiving spirit for the sins of your dear old dad. But... Mm. But um, it's, it's not easy. And that's what Peter's saying, that um, when you're reviled, they're going to be put to shame, not because you deserve it, but because of your good conduct in Christ. Yeah. You, you mentioned in some of our own conversations outside of this sermon, um, a, what is it, a, a, a prophet is... Honored everywhere. Honored everywhere, except for in his own town or his own home. And one reason is they know the prophet's weaknesses. Yeah, yeah. That's it's an interesting, you know, interesting point to to bring up in in terms of, you know, living a, a Christian life and and um, going through per- persecution and, and difficulties in life. That you know we we can put on armor, the armor of God, in air quotes. But those who know us know the weak points of our armor and those you know those small holes are like gaping miles if you know where they are Mm -hmm. so it's interesting to 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 see how you know um living living a life is not living a life of christian suffering is not as you know as easy i'm saying that tentatively as easy as it sounds uh you know suffering is yeah it's good but also It's difficult. (laughs) It's a good word. Good word. I appreciate Phil, and I've I've shared this 
many times. I, I always appreciate your um, measured candor from the pulpit. Um, you're in good company. I don't mean that in, in the sense of like, yeah, you struggle with things, you know, but uh, I mean, you use Paul as an example, great example in your sermon. Peter, who wrote the letter, I mean, we know a lot about Peter. Mm, yeah. Um, I can't help but think, um, as I read particularly this section of the letter, and I think of Peter deny, denying Christ or, you know, um, Jesus telling him, get behind me, Satan, you know, mm-hmm. and, then, and then we have this letter that Peter wrote. Yeah. And he goes, that's the same guy? Seriously? Like, that's the same guy? Mm-hmm. Um, and it is. So, again, you're in good company in the sense of no, no one is, uh, no one has arrived. Everyone has a past and also present struggles. Um, and I think I appreciate what was shared and what we've talked about today even more when I remember the context of the unity of the body and loving one another genuinely. And I go, how the heck do I do what Peter's telling me to do aside from the work of the Holy Spirit? And then I go, oh, yeah, he's given me the church, mm-hmm. you know, I'm part of the church. So, yeah, this isn't so insurmountable, even though it feels that way sometimes. I think it it's, you know, the the collection of the church, the the elders and the deacons, I think it's uh, very necessary for for that to be realized in the leadership in the church that um though though we have struggles i'm not saying we as in me because i'm not part of the leadership of mercy (laughs) hill um it's collective collectively i think that it's important that we realize the struggles of the um of the person and how they are striving to uh, follow Christ and uh, recognizing, you know, the, the, the difficulties, but, you know, really, really attempting to uh, live, live a Christian life, live a Christian calling. I'll end with this, Tim, a mm-hmm. quote from a book, a scholar named Joseph, last name is Joseph, because of the new birth, Peter's readers have experienced and because of the new birth that Peter's readers have experienced and the change of behavior that ensued, they have become the target of verbal abuse and other kinds of mistreatment. Their new birth, the new birth they have been given, has ushered in a bright future. However, for the audience to share in the future glory, it's important that they respond faithfully in the face of their present trials. This is why the author repeatedly calls on his audience to do good. The expectation is that in doing good, this should be a way of life, and it is squarely located in the context of suffering. Hmm. So it's all connected. Who Jesus is and what he's done, who he's made us to be and what he calls us to do. So the chosen instrument really, I think, is how I want to end and encourage you and you, Noah, and myself and all of our listeners God has a, a plan for our lives, and we need to get after it. And if it's hard, that's part of the part of the point. Hmm. Amen. Hmm. Yeah. And remember, there's a second half. <laughs> Absolutely. We're never going to get that analogy. Yeah. So yeah. That's going to go down in the uh, Philip yeah. Henry Sermon Hall of Fame. Yeah. S- sometimes I just open mouth, and out it comes. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. It was good, and this time has been great. Thanks so much, guys, for taking the time today. We certainly did something. I don't know how much we did, but we did something. Um, And I hope that it was helpful to all of our listeners to um, partake in our conversation. Um, We'll hope to do it again next week, Lord willing. I know we're going to get into more uh, tricky stuff with suffering. So, um, you know, maybe we'll strong arm Noah into joining us again before oh, he, no, before yeah. he uh he leaves but um nevertheless we'll again lord willing be with you again next week until then we pray that 
uh, you would be blessed. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you.